The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. And I'm your host, and this is episode 31. What a great show we have got coming up for you. But before we get into that, we have a contest. As we talked about last week, and as we'll talk about a lot on this episode, the LDS Film Festival is coming up in Orem, Utah next week. And it is going to be a fantastic event. And uh, our good friends, Kels and Stephanie from the LDS Film Festival, were kind enough to give us two free full passes to the film festival to give away. Now, these are worth $50 each, so it's a $100 value. And what we asked was to email us or message us or whatever on social media, whatever, to get us a movie featuring a Mormon actor. And boy, did we get some cool ones. Uh, We got Napoleon Dynamite. We got God's Army. uh, We got Best Two Years. We had just a lot of ones that I hadn't thought of, too. Uh, But we did draw one winner. And that winner is, drumroll please, I don't have a drumroll here. But anyway, our winner is Adam Stokes. Adam Stokes, congratulations. You have won two tickets to the LDS Film Festival in Orem. We will call ahead and they will have those tickets ready for you there. If you did not win, thank you for entering. And we're so sorry we could only have that one winner uh, of those two tickets. But please go check it out. Again, it runs... Next Monday, it's the 26th through the 3rd of, uh, 26th of February through the 3rd of March. Go check it out. So many great events. And uh, you can find everything uh, that you need to know about the film festival on ldsfilmfest.com. That is the official website of the film festival. So Adam, congratulations. Enjoy the film festival. Uh, This week on the show, my guest is a very well-known director and producer, and he does film distribution, and he's got a streaming channel coming up. We're going to talk about it all. Brian Bruff. I mean, just such an amazing guy. And he's got some some great projects coming up as well that you'll want to hear about. So that's what's happening in our conversation. And uh, this week in my Latter-day life, I'm going to talk a little bit about the difference between a Friday and a Sunday. So that's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. My guest this week is a well-known director and producer, and we've been talking a lot about the LDS Film Festival uh, coming up. He's got two films in the festival. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. My guest is Brian Bruff. Brian, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to have you on board. Well, so great to be here. Brian is uh, somewhat iconic, not only LDS film world, but uh, also just in Utah film and national film as well. I actually, uh, it feels like everyone I know in film has worked with you on some point or other. Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get started in film? Um, When I was at BYU, I took an introduction to film class as just an elective, and I thought it was just really fascinating to see the behind the scenes of how things worked. Um, And at that point, I think I was going to be studying accounting and going into business, and I thought, this is a lot cooler. (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up, uh, over time, I ended up, you know, changing my major and learning more about film and, you know, through the BYU's film program and uh, did a lot of volunteer work at the church's motion picture studio. 
and just loved every aspect of it. So yeah, eventually I switched over and made that turn that into a career. So prior to going to this, prior to taking this class at BYU, had you really never, you'd never done any film? I mean, I never thought of film as a professional uh, career that you could actually do. Hmm. You know, growing up, we had our, you know, the big video cameras and you could carry around the VCR <laughs> on your side. So I like remember that. those. And, sure. you know, so my sisters and I, we would make, we'd make our own little films that we do. Even in school, like for different, you know, different reports, I'd, I'd pull out the camera and say, how do I use video with this? And it was just a hobby and just something fun to do. But uh, yeah, once I got to college, I was able to see that, okay, you can actually take these, these, the, these interests and the skills and turn it into something that you do full time. So did you get a degree in film from I did. BYU? Yep. Wow. How is the BYU film program? It's good. It was good. I mean, for me, the best thing was being able to network with other people and then the access uh, to the church's studio. Yeah. Um, I mean, now there's a lot of people that have a lot. I mean, there's so many other opportunities that exist in film, but for, you know, this was 20 years ago when I graduated. So sure. it was, it was a, a great experience. I mean, I, I got a lot out of it and I thought it was great. Now our mutual friend, Kels Goodman, when he was on the show, his recommendation to people was it was great to do film school back then when uh, we were all young, but that he wouldn't do it today because you can do so much else just going out and working on film sets. Uh, do you share that view? Or? Uh, it depends on what your goals are. You oh, know, okay. If you want to work in film and be a crew member, I, I think that's probably, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, for me, if I were to do it over again, you know, today, I'd probably go in for marketing. I'd still go to college and get a degree and, and learn how to do other things that are applicable to film, but you don't learn it as hands-on as you do when you work in film. So like, you know, if you want to be a grip, you want to learn camera, just go do it. You know, yeah. But if you want to want to produce, if you want to direct, you need to have a much wider set of skills that may not relate directly to film. So let me learn about business, learn about marketing, learn about you know so, uh, the law, learn about so many things that mm. are part of the whole process. I mean, with making a movie uh, from a producer standpoint, it's kind of it's, you're, you're really an entrepreneur. Yeah. Every movie you create is creating another product, and you need to know how to package it together, how to sell it, how to market it. Um, and those are things that at least I felt like they didn't teach at school. You have to learn that over time. And if you could learn those, that skill set, even maybe not part of film, but if you can learn that skill set, it's very valuable in really anything you do. That's fascinating. Cause that was exactly Kel's feedback was that he'd go back and get a marketing degree and just work on film sets to, to learn it all. Very yeah. interesting. When you got out of school, what was the first film you did? That, that, what was the first thing that would be considered a Brian Bruff production? Um, it wasn't for, it was actually several years after I graduated. When I first graduated, I continued to freelance. I did a lot of stuff with the church's motion picture studio. Um, and then I freelanced. I did, uh, one of the first feature films I did was, uh, God's Army, not God's Army. Sorry. What was the next one? Brigham City. Brigham City. Yeah. yeah. So I managed the uh, Brigham City with Richard Dutcher and stuff. So I learned a lot from that. And then I did a lot of the Hillstorm movies um, early on. Yeah. So it wasn't until a couple years after that that I, I directed my first show. And part of it was just gaining the confidence to direct. Sure. I had, in school, I had no desire to direct. I thought, okay, I don't want to be the creative guy. I want to produce. And Yeah. But uh, as I was the first assistant director and you work with a, with a director and the director of photography a lot, I thought one day, I'm like, you know what? I can do this. Yeah. So. Uh, Gave I, you that confidence. Yeah. So the first film, I can't remember the year, but it was Beauty and the Beast, A Latter-day Tale. Mm. And. uh it's kind of an embarrassing project to look back on in terms of, you know, I was just so new at it. I didn't know how to really put it together. I kind of over-directed everything and <laughs> my cast was new and they were great to work with, but I think I pushed them to go further than what they should have gotcha. in terms of naturalness and, and we had technical problems, but 
at the same time, people have loved the story, and it's actually been a, a great film for us over time. Yeah, it's a very popular film. Um, so, I mean, I cringe at it because it doesn't look like I want it to look, but you know, if you can look past that and just focus on the story, it turned out really nice. My daughters love it. Okay, they yeah. love that movie, so it's great. Um, do you, When you watch your own films, are you hypercritical? Do you have a hard time... Like, I, I know that when I watch my own stand-up, like, if I watch tapes of my stand-up, I'll go, gosh, I got that line just off, or <laughs> the timing wasn't right, or what am I doing? Do you do you relive that, or do you just let it go? Most of the time, I let it go. I was actually commenting at work the other day, saying, I can basically do, like, a mystery science theater of all my movies easily and just make fun of everything, <laughs> you know, whether it's the behind-the-scenes process or even just watching how things are and, like... You know, I think it works really well in the context, but I can take anything out of context and push it and make it funny if I wanted to. So yeah, sure. you know, I, I think I like to make fun of my films to myself more than anything. You know, I, I, I realize that I don't want to just make one film and be so hyper-focused on how to make it perfect. It's, yeah. okay, learn from it and move on and tell another story and see if you can improve upon it. Yeah. So I, I try not to relive it too much. And, you you know, you talked about early on, I mean, those were the really er early days of kind of the golden era of LDS film. Mm -hmm. I mean, I look at it as it really kind of started with God's Army. I mean, that yeah. was that was the first like, wow, there's a Mormon movie in theaters. That was such a big deal. Yeah. You know, and you were involved in it from early on. How how has LDS film, not actual church productions, mm -hmm. but the LDS film world, how has it changed? Unfortunately, I think some of the excitement has worn off. Um, mm. You know, films got have have become easier and less expensive to produce. Back in that day, you had to shoot it on thirty five millimeter film. Oh yeah, you know, it's like I mean, such a big percentage of your budget was having buying the film and processing sure. it, and then you, you're doing the whole process to and color to correcting. Film. And I mean, there's so much. That yeah, goes you have to go film. in and cut the negative. You have to hire somebody yeah. to go through and take the negative Oof. and splice it all together and stuff, and then from there you transfer it. So it was a much bigger, expensive process. I think that kind of limited how many films were done initially. Yeah. Um, even at the tail end of that, um, I think people were starting to get a little tired of it. And so, I don't know. It's I think nowadays it's, you know, I'm a little, I'm not sure what the future of the LDS, of LDS film has to hold. Um, I think there's still great stories to tell, but how we watch films as, as audience members has changed oh, yeah. a lot. You know, the theatrical experience is fantastic, but... You know, most people are going to say, if I have to choose between watching a, an LDS film or a, a Marvel movie or a big, you know, right. whatever movie, they're usually going to pick the bigger movie. And I don't blame them, but at the same time, that doesn't support the LDS film community. And sure. some of the, there's some great stories and there's some stinker stories out there. And so it's kind of, you know, just like any other genre. But uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where it's going to go. I feel like we're seeing a lot of... Um a lot of films, like we had Dave Nibley on, mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking about his film, We Love You, Sally Carmichael, where the, the key character was Mormon. His Mormonism influenced the film, but it wasn't the theme of the film. Mm -hmm. uh, a film that you did last year, maybe it's been a year and a half now, um, that I thought was just awesome was uh, Singing with Angels. Uh -huh. What an amazing film. Um, in fact, we had Scott Christopher on as a guest. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, that's just a fantastic film. And where, even though the, the church, I mean, it's set around, uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. So obviously a very Mormon film. Yeah. Yet it's not really a Mormon film. You know, it's really yeah. about people's lives. Are you seeing more of that? I think so. And, and for that film specifically, we, I mean, the, so many, most of the fans of the choir are actually not members of the church. When they go on tour around the country here or throughout the world, 
most of the people that come out are non-members. Mm. And so we wanted to tell a story about the choir and not about the church. So that one, we were very careful not to bring up, talk about bishops and stake presidents and going to, to, to church meetings and stuff like that. It's more of just normal people in their lives and what happens to them, and they have to be happen to have that connection with the choir. Um, I think you're right, though. There's a lot of films now, they don't want to embrace and tell a purely Mormon story. Yeah. And part of it is the market's just not as big as it needs to be to support that. So by making it so it's a little more, a little broader, you now have a bigger market to sell to. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of the films are sold to the Christian market, um, as long as you don't make it Mormon. So I mean, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. you know, Just Let Go is an example, even though the true story sure. is he was a bishop, they made him, I don't know if they made him a pastor, but they didn't make him a bishop in the movie. They kind of, even though it's this Mormon story, they didn't want to categorize it as, as LDS. Yeah. There's, a, there are a lot of people looking for, for stories of faith. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. definitely a big growing category. Uh, what has streaming done to the film world? I, I, I personally, as a consumer, I love streaming. It's, yeah. it's very easy. I think we I all mean, do. I mean, yeah. I haven't put a, a DVD or a Blu-ray in for, for a long time. I, sure. It's just, it's just not, uh, not something I do anymore. But that being said, is as a, from, from a producing standpoint, it's tough because we don't make, as a filmmaker, we make a lot less um, when people stream your movie than when you buy it. You know, if you buy my DVD, I make eight to ten dollars. Right. When you stream my movie on Amazon, with the way they're changing it now, is watching the whole movie, I'll make uh, nine cents. You know, is it really that low? Is that a real level? Well, March first, they changed it. So right now, it's fifteen cents, and they drop it down uh, to six cents an hour starting March first. So they're even lowering it lower than what it is now. Six cents an hour. So for an hour and a half film, you know, if you watch it on Amazon Prime, which is great because it reaches a lot more people, but it's nine cents for watching that movie versus eight, nine dollars. So, you know, it's, so you got to have a lot of people watch. And that being said, we've had some movies that are more mainstream that have done very well on Amazon prime, mm. but it's one of those things because we, I mean, we're having hundreds of thousands of people watch it versus a couple thousand. But so you reach a bigger audience, but yeah, it's really is that low. You know, if Netflix picks up your movie, which is becoming harder and harder nowadays, they pay a license fee. And so, you know, it's good, but it's, you know, they they make it so you can't go anywhere else during that time. So you can't. Is Netflix to, like a one time fee then, or yes. you don't pay? You don't get paid by the. No, so the it's watcher. not a revenue share. It's just it's kind of like a TV licensing deal. They come in and say, okay, for twenty four months we're going to pay X amount of dollars, and mm. we get the rights for you know streaming for for subscription video, and so you can't go to Amazon Prime. I mean, you can still rent it and do other things, but you're kind of limited on that. So, you know, like Singing with Angels, like you said, we licensed it to to Netflix, and that's where it is right now for another year. Yeah. So they have a two-year license for here and for actually several other countries in the world. And I'll put in the plug on that movie. Mm-hmm. That's a really feel-good mm-hmm. movie. I, I I watched it on a trip and I just enjoyed it. It's a well. Here's an interesting a, thing. A wonderful film. You know, talking about the LDS market, it's you know, Singing with Angels. We were really excited when we we met with the choir. We pitched the idea to them. They went off and at the time got approval from President Monson that because he the President Monson actually. Um, or the prophet oversees the choir. There's no groups in between. Right. So he approved it and says, as long as I get to see it when it's done. So we're like, great. And we thought, okay, we're going to tell this story and people are just going to flock to it because it's the choir. Yeah. And what we found was completely the opposite, which surprised us is, mm. oh, it's the choir. Wait, I can watch them for free anytime. It's like, well, but, but this, <laughs> it's not the same story. Well, no, that's all right. not at all. I, I'll see them at conference. I can watch them there or it must be a documentary. And that was a hurdle that no matter what we did, we just couldn't overcome. Is, oh, wow. Hey, here it is, guys. And so, you know, we actually sold, uh, it was on DVD, we sold better in Walmart throughout the country than we did in Deseret Book. 
Really? So, that is shocking to me. So I think it did better from outside of the church than inside of the church. And, you know, and I, I mean, I, I felt it was a great story. It was a great movie. We, we, I mean, there's a lot of true stories we encompass in there. It had a great spirit to it. It had a wonderful spirit. And, yeah. I mean, and great music, obviously, with the choir. I mean, we actually produced it. You know, we shot it on Temple Square. We shot it in the Tabernacle. The real choir members are in there and mm, stuff. And that's awesome. And we couldn't break the hurdle of getting the church members to embrace it. You know, <laughs> so so you could fight against streaming, which is futile. Mm-hmm. Or you've made a big step to take streaming into your own hands. Tell us what you have coming up. Yeah, so we have an online platform. So it's a subscription-based platform. Um, you know, our most of the films that we produce tend to be romantic dramas, romantic comedies, or feel-good movies. Yeah. And so that's what we're focusing on is, so we called it Cozy Flicks. Uh, so it's CozyFlicks.com. And we're really focusing on those kind of three genres as, you know, either romance or inspirational. And, you know, it's probably a little more w- women centric, but I mean, most of the movies are great for everybody. It depends if you like romantic comedies or not. <laughs> I, I like them when my wife wants to watch them. She tells me that I like them. She reminds me often how much I like them. So and I'm kind of the same way. I won't, I don't know if I actually say, let me turn it on and watch it. But if it's being watched, I'm, I mean, I, I enjoy, I yeah. sit down and watch them. So, you know, we're starting that partially as a way just so we can reach people directly. Yeah. Um, you know, right now we produce, and we produce a lot of films. We did four, four movies last year mm. and we do it for foreign. We do it. Uh, we sold the movie to lifetime. Uh, we've done stuff, uh, you know, some inspirational things. We did one LDS film, uh, called in Emma's footsteps. That's going to be coming out right. soon. Yeah. And so we've done a variety of things, but every time we make a movie, we still have to go through somebody to reach the consumer. So you have to rely on this bookstore or this retailer or whatever yeah. to say, Oh yeah, we'll pick it up we're, we're, we'll give you a good spot. And what we've encountered is a lot of times they say, well, we have another film somewhere that we have a more vested interest in. So regardless of how good your film is, we're not going to push it. We'll put it in the back shelf, but we're not going to feature it. Yeah. And so as a result, it it doesn't reach the consumers. It's hard to make your money back. So, you know, with Cozy Flicks, what we want to do is, hey, let's produce this kind of film for the people that love these films. And we can just work directly with our consumer, you know, with the, with the subscribers. You tell us what you want, we'll produce it. And they'll subscribe to it. It'll be a monthly subscription, just like a Hulu or a Netflix. Yeah, so we have a monthly one, and we have an annual subscription, which okay. is a little bit more discounted if you want to sign up for the whole year. And will that be purely on the website, or are you looking at apps, or how will that? Yeah, get so out we have the yeah we have the website. We have a Roku channel that's that's live now. Oh, really? Um, we have it works through Chromecast, and then we have an Android and iOS app that should be up really soon. So. You know, we have it. We had it before under a different name, and more family friendly. And we thought, you know, let's target more towards you know this certain genre. So that that happens on March first. We're switching over to be you know more specifically that, and hopefully those apps will be shortly. And people can check out that out at cozyflicks.com. It just sounds nice. Cuddle up to a cozy flick. Yeah, and it's. I mean, and that's what we want to do. Is the reason most people watch movies is to be entertained, to escape, and just you know, my wife just can't wait till we put the kids down every night and to say, let's just go to bed and cover the blankets on or put the blankets on and just, just feel cozy and watch something that's feel good. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to be any certain genre. I just want to feel good watching it. And right nowadays, I believe, you know, all these other streaming platforms, Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon, they're producing a lot of shows, but most of them are mature themed. Um, and I mean, I've watched some of them and some are great. And other ones are like, man, this just makes you feel terrible. It's just a bad spirit around. It's like, do you really want to sit there and watch 10 episodes of this? And so our goal is we want you to feel good. Have fun. I love that. I got, I got sucked into something on, uh, I say I got sucked into, like I wasn't actively pressing the buttons on the remote. Mm -hmm. I started watching something that the first episode was fine. Second episode had a couple things in it that I thought, hmm, yeah, I don't know that I like this. 
By the third episode, there was a lot in it. There was a lot of content that I didn't like. I stuck with it for a few episodes. And after three or four episodes, I just went, why am I watching this? This mm-hmm. is horrible. Yeah. And so I love the goal of Cozy Flicks that you're you're looking at bringing out positive stuff. That's just fantastic. That's a big undertaking, though. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're looking at releasing a brand new movie that, like an original movie, like uh, the first Friday of every month. So it's a lot of new content that we either have to go find that hasn't been, that people haven't discovered yet or films that we're producing. So it's a combination of that. And then in addition to the new films, we have a lot of films that um, in our library that we've been licensing from different distributors. And, and that's been a lot of work just to go find number one, the distributors that will give you their films. And number two, that has appropriate content. Sure. We were watching, uh, I had somebody in my office uh, screening films yesterday and you hear these F-bombs being dropped. We're like, nope, can't be on our platform. So, you know. It's amazing how much the world just seems like that's fine. Yeah. You know? I'm trying to convince my wife about uh, how feel-good basketball is. (laughs) So far, she hasn't bought in. That's what I want to do at night. That's how I feel good, depending on... Depending on how my team does, uh, but that, that's what I like to watch. But now everybody enjoys a good film, and it's mm-hmm. hard to find. And the worst part to me, especially if, I, if I'm watching with my kids, but even, even if not, is that when you feel like, oh, this is going to be a great film, you get into it, and it's just not. Mm-hmm. Then you've got to make a decision. Am I yeah. turning this off? Am I walking out? Mm-hmm. Am I? So it's nice to have stuff you can trust. As a, as a director, do you find there is a stable of actors that you kind of go to, that you trust and you like to work with again and again, or do you like finding new talent each time? For me, it's a combination. Like, I'll have to tell you, the thing I like least about directing is the casting process, mm. is having open auditions and having hundreds of people come through and trying to find those people. Um, so a lot of times when we have a project, we'll actually just go through and just create a list. Here are our characters, and who do we know that we can just, you know, Scott Christopher, for example. Yeah. I haven't had him audition for the last three movies I've cast him for. I, I call him up and say, I have a part for you. You want to do it? Sure. And it's done. <laughs> you know, yeah, we had him audition on Sing with Angels. I mean, Sing with Angels, the first time I'd worked with him in that really, that capacity. And he auditioned for that. And after that, I've cast him just uh, through a phone call for the last three movies. So That's awesome. That's um, fantastic. But that being said, it's nice to find new faces. So, you know, for the movie, not Cinderella's type, you know, for that, it's mostly new faces. Scott Christopher's in it, but everybody cool. else, like our main core cast, our main three uh, actors are brand new actors that I've never worked with before. Wow. Fascinating. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we've had on the podcast, we've had Michael Berkland, mm-hmm. Scott Christopher, Joel Bishop. Um, we've had a lot of actors who you've worked with, mm-hmm. who you know. It's a small community, and yeah. uh, but a lot of unbelievable talent in utah Mm -hmm. when you have people come in from out of state are they surprised at how great utah is for film i think it depends on the person you know a lot of people have that a lot of actors i've worked with have come out for other for other projects Mm. they worked on touched by an angel years ago or they've done different movies in the past Uh, we just did a, a thriller in december and i had an actor his name is john shea and he came all the way out from nantucket um, and he's like, and he'd been here twice before for different other pro- wow. for different projects. And, um, but yeah, he's like, I, I love coming out to Utah. It's great to be here. Um, and so, yeah, we found even out of, out of LA and, 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 you know, the, the little more recognizable actors, we tend to bring them back again and again. If we, I mean, this last project, I brought the, our actress out of LA for the third time, just cause she's so great to work with. Awesome. I was like, it's, it's hard to find actors that you have that relationship with. And so it's like, let's bring you back as much as it makes sense. Just makes it comfortable. And yeah. I, I assume that 
DPs, mm-hmm. like everybody on set, it bears people you know and you're comfortable with? Yeah, I mean, I like to make sure that when we go in that, you know, the department heads for each area, that they're people that I trust, and then I let them hire their crews um, underneath them. But, yeah, you you you, you try to find the people that you mesh well with. Yeah. And so, you know, people that have the same vision, the same work ethic, the people that are not going to complain, but give their all and are good team right. players. So, you know, that's, uh, I try to use the same crew and if they're busy, they go find some new people. But <laughs> now you're a director and a producer, you're creating your own film world now, but mm-hmm. there was a time when you were reliant upon getting work and, mm-hmm. you know, you wanted other people to hire you being very active in the church. Have you ever had to walk away from a project? Have you ever been offered something and said, that really doesn't fit my values? I actually have been fortunate enough. I haven't, you know, that's being fantastic. A, you know, uh, you know, your bigger outside projects, usually your crews are mostly in Salt Lake and being down here in Utah County enables me to, I wouldn't say enables me, but I've done, in the beginning, I did a lot of church projects, which was great. And then, you know, the projects down here are typically not your your bigger Hollywood shows. And so, you know, the shows that I've done are, are more community-based projects. And so it's given me a lot of flexibility. It's allowed me to do bigger roles faster than I probably could have on on these other shows. You know, I was managing shows, you know, Brigham City was the first show I managed and I was straight out of school. You know, at that time, nobody else was going to hire, you know, a a kid fresh out of college to come and manage a a big project. But that's, you know, Richard had that that faith and we did that and it was a great learning opportunity. So no, I've been able to, to to be able to pick the projects that I, you know, felt were, you know, uh, matched the values that I hold and didn't have to have to compromise things to do it. That's amazing. I mean, that's really, really impressive. Uh, all the actors I've talked to, I ask them all that question. Mm-hmm. Almost every one of them has had that one thing that they just, great opportunity, but mm-hmm. got to pass. Yeah. So that's a real blessing. Um, do you have one project or film that has a really special place in your heart? Like if, you know, you when you die, I hope everybody watches mm-hmm. this because it's me on a plate. It's me. It's me out there on film. Is there is there one thing that you're just super super proud of that's i mean there's some i don't know if i go quite as far as this is me i mean for me i i, I don't know if this is really to say this here but like i've never seen myself as an artist like when i was in school i had never no desire to ever direct i didn't have mm. see myself as a creative you know and now i've kind of moved over to that role so you know my approach on each film is is more from a business perspective is let's create something that people will will love and tell yeah. good stories but you know, that being said, you know, one of the films that we did several years ago, and I think, um, actually, I think uh, uh, one of your sons was in it. Um, oh, that's was right. A, no, called Nowhere Safe. Yeah. And, you know, that was a story, and this is, you know, a few years back, but, uh, you know, it dealt with cyberbullying and just how, what you say online and how you behave in that kind of a setting can really impact people and how do you get around that and stuff. So, that, that that was a film that I even got a message on Facebook last night just from a random person saying, "Hey, I just watched this and I love this film." And how'd you do this? How'd you do that? So it's kind yeah. of fun to to be able to see that the impact is still there, you know, several years later. What I loved about Nowhere Safe um, is that it had such a great message, but it was a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's a movie that teenagers and young adults, and mm-hmm. even as a parent, which is. I, you know, it made me think a lot, mm-hmm. but it's just a great film, but it was nice to have mm-hmm. such a great movie, but not to sit there. Usually that theme, mm-hmm. cyberbullying and the cyber world, it can get really heavy, it can mm-hmm. get heavy and uncomfortable yeah. and inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And boy, you just threaded that needle where it was very believable, very real. Uh, you mentioned that, uh, that my son was in it. Uh, he went, you were kind enough to have, so I, I should tell our, our listeners that. 
Brian and I are also neighbors. <laughs> We've been neighbors for several years. And in fact, we're closer neighbors now. Brian yeah. just built a house just kitty corner across the street. So a mm-hmm. uh, brand new house. But uh, Brian had several kids from the ward uh, come and be in some of the big party scenes. And it was so fun watching it. My kids are not actors. And so my son, Miles, who was in it, we were watching and we had some of his friends over, Mason and a few of the other kids who were in it. Mm-hmm. And as they were watching, they were yelling out, that's my leg. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think that's my back. If you, if you look really off in the distance, see that, see that blue shirt? That's me. Yeah. <laughs> and they were really, really excited about it. That's got to be, is it hard directing that big of a group or is it mostly the assistant director who's doing that kind of stuff? Uh, it's a comedy. It depends on what the scene is. You know, if it's just kids walking in a hallway, that's not bad. You but know, you what? had big campus, like you had some sprawling campus shots. I mean, the hardest one we did shots. was we had, we were following our actress walking down the school hallway. And yeah. so she had to hit certain marks at a certain point, And we had, you know, 50 people in the hallway crossing <laughs> camera, rocking around. And we did... I was trying to let my assistant directors get that going. And after about 10 takes, I'm like, okay, let me just go in and let's just get this done. And so I'm like, okay, you go here, you go there, you go there. And then <laughs> it, it went, we did two more takes and we got it. But, yeah. you know, so some of those things are more complicated when you have to choreograph it. Right. When it's more of a, you know, here's a, an establishing of the school and my main actors are right here in the center. And then everybody else kind of does stuff around the assistant directors do a good job and just make people look real. Don't look at the camera and just go have fun. Do your you know? thing. Yeah. <laughs> So we conversely from something that you're super proud of, is there one that, boy, if you just had a magic wand, you would get off of your resume or off of your history? Is there one that you cringe when people mention it? Well, there's one that I did that I don't, I don't even release. You know, it's probably the really? actually, it was actually the very first thing I did, which was even before Beauty and the Beast. And, and part of it is I don't hate the experience because it was we did it kind of more of as a if you want to call it part of the education is I'm going to go off direct something. It was really small. Um, you know, very inexperienced actors. The script wasn't very good. Yeah. You know, all these things together. So, of course, it made a wonderful film. But uh, <laughs> but it was one of those things where, you know, we actually were submitting it to some digital platforms. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't really want this out there. You wow. Know, it, we didn't spend a lot on it. It, it was ca- chalk it up to education and let's just throw it away. And, yeah. you know, it's it's not really worth watching. But I learned a lot from it. And that mm. enabled me to go off and say, okay, I did this. I did this well. I did this really bad. So let me make sure on the next one that, I remedy that and and get better. So I feel like each project that I do, I think it looks better. The whole process turns out better. And I think that's what you have to do is you take, you do the very best you can learn from it and the next film, make it even better. It's awesome. Your, your business is a family business. Tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit, a little bit about how your family's involved in your business. Um, I started in film, I think I graduated in 99 and I was Mm -hmm. freelancing and managing different shows. And so I actually, my younger sister was at college at BYU and I would hire her to be a production assistant on different projects. And so really the two of us were starting to work pretty steadily in film. And, um, my dad had worked in the hospital administration and also financial sector for a long time. And, and, uh, they were at the point saying, they were back East and saying, yeah, we're thinking about kind of retiring and coming out. And if we start a family business, what should we do? And so I was like, well, I don't know what you guys want to do, but this is what, you know, the two of us are doing. And, uh, so we kind of, they came out here and, Slowly, and we basically took like my student films and packaged them on VHS at the time and sold them to to Desert Book, you know? And so we started becoming a distributor first because if you can't distribute your film, if you don't know how to distribute then and get it out there, then making it doesn't really matter. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we learned how to become a distributor and started producing and and 
we did that kind of very volunteerish for a while. I, I would freelance for, for a living and then I'd come in and we would, you know, anytime I wasn't getting paid from other people, I'd come in and work for the family company. and Which is the distribution arm, basically. Yeah, we would still produce, yeah. would, but it was, I mean, distribution was, was is a key factor and I mean, still is today. Sure. But, uh, so yeah, we did that and then finally got to the point where after we released our first or second film saying, okay, we can make this a full-time thing. So I kind of, for the most part, I stopped freelancing and this is what I do full-time now. And that's, it's so neat to be able to work with family that well. Not everyone can do it. I don't know that I could do it, but I think it's <laughs> awesome that you can. Tell us a little bit about your own family, about your wife, your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I've been married for what? Uh, I don't know, close to 15 years, I'm going to say, 14, yeah. 15 years. Do you want me to edit that down in case Tara listens? <laughs> that's right. So I think that... she'd have to think about it too. So. <laughs> that's all right. Um, but yeah, we have five kids uh, ranging from two to 10. And, uh, yeah, so we have, and our, our youngest ones are twins yeah. and, uh, they keep us busy. So it's a whole lot of running around this morning. I woke up to a whole bunch of water on the kitchen floor cause they were standing on the counter dumping water on the floor cause they think that's fun. So, <laughs> and, and, and just hearing that is making me cringe because when I say Brian has a new home, I mean three weeks. Yeah. I think you've you've been there three weeks now, and so on the beautiful new kitchen floors. The well, kids thankfully this water. time we're like, okay, we're not doing hardwood floor because it can warp and and dent and everything else. We got yeah. this vinyl planking, which is sure. water resistant, oh, scratch resistant. So, you know, still get off the counter. You know, get off our brand new countertop and everything else. But you know, nothing that we can't clean up. Does your wife ever get involved in any of the filmmaking process? Um, she actually, I know her safe. She actually was the one who coordinated a lot of the extras in our ward. Um, yeah. She was in the young women's program at the time and started telling everybody, Hey, if you guys want to be an extra and come hang out at, at the school during the summer for a week, then this is what we're doing. So, um, but like on, from a professional level, no, I mean, she, she has her hands full with the kids and yeah. I mean, I've had, I throw her in as an extra here and there and my kids and yeah, she's got her hands very full. You have such beautiful children, oh, thank fun, you. fun family. And I should say our ward is crazy amazing we've had adam sidwell who you know does mm-hmm. a lot of big film stuff himself yeah. uh, in addition to his writing we've had the roberts brothers on uh you know we had damon holsey on to talk about uh, his time in afghanistan and mm-hmm. now you it is a pretty phenomenal ward we live in well it's interesting moving into the ward scene how many film ties there are like in the past i've been the film guy you know yeah. And so, and we had uh, Ricky Ray Butler used to be in the war. Oh yeah, and, that's right. Uh, yeah. He does a lot of YouTube branding. Yeah, um, and I mean, he's done doing really well. Moved to California now, but uh, so yeah, it's interesting to see how much in our ward people are centered around entertainment. There's a lot of entertainment and film. In fact, last night I was sitting with Randy Roberts at a ward activity, and we were talking about YouTube. And I was saying how I've got uh, one of my videos has 1.3 million views, and yet I'm second in our ward. <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube, in any other ward, you know, 1.3 million views for one video, I'd be number one. Yeah. And Randy said, well, out of fairness, there are three brothers in the ward. He <laughs> says, if you divide it by three, I said, wait, if you divide it by three, I'm actually fourth. That makes it even worse. <laughs> so I don't think that, I don't think that helps at all. That means you got to divide the number of views by three too. Yeah. So it still puts it me in fourth. It oh, doesn't really? <laughs> matter. They've got hundreds of millions. They're, they're so far ahead. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not even trying to compete. So well, that we have even people in our ward that act, you know, Carolyn Lundberg does. Yeah. Acting. Carolyn Lundberg's a great yeah. actress. Yeah. She's so, done quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm trying to keep the number one. Since I'm the only podcaster in the ward, <laughs> I like to keep my place as the number one podcaster in the ward. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about the LDS Film Festival. We've been well, talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got it coming up, and it's very exciting. Uh, you've got two films coming into the film festival. Tell mm-hmm. us about those two films. 
Uh, the first one's called Not Cinderella's Type, and it's based on a novel that was written by Jenny James, who lives, I can't remember the name of where she lives, but down near Nephi in that yeah. area. And so um, yeah, we got introduced to her, and I, I read the book, and I liked it. And so we she wrote a, a version of the script, and then we went through and did another version and got it ready. So it's a... Uh, you know, it's an ad- modern adaptation of, this, of a Cinderella story, but it's based a lot more in reality. And it deals with a lot of the social issues that exist in today's society in terms of, you know, like if Cinderella was really under that circumstance, it's kind of an, emotion- an emotionally abusive situation living at home where everybody bags on you constantly. You're not treated mm. the same. And so we actually bring that up. And that's wow. a big issue of it is, you know, she's kind of very uh, shy and timid because of the situation. Mm. She's, she's not treated the same. She lives in the attic, whereas everybody else lives in the nice house. You know, they just never have treated her the same. So it's not until she meets the our prince character, if you want to call him that, that he helps her see what what situation she's in and have the confidence to try to to, to combat that and try to get out of that. Wow! Cool. So it's a, a really good message with that, but you know, still with the hopefully fun and entertaining and a, and a great cast. And when's that going to be at the film festival if people want to see it? It's going to be on Monday night. So. Officially, I think the festival starts on Tuesday with uh, with their opening film. But there's an opening night, family night, Monday night. Yeah. Gotcha. And so what we've done is, um, in working with Kells on this, was we said, okay, there's the big theater still available. So we put ours in there, and we're doing kind of a $5 night. Oh, awesome. Um, so they can see this movie for 5 bucks. Yep. That's amazing. What time does that show? So 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, people mm-hmm. can see this movie for $5. That's <laughs> fantastic. And so, yeah, it's, there's, it's a huge theater. The cast is going to be there. Awesome. Um, the, the author will be there. We'll have a lot of just a lot of fun. So yeah, people should come out and see it and, and really enjoy it. That's really cool. What's your second project? Um, the other one's called Ruling of the Heart. And that one is showing on Thursday night at seven o'clock. Awesome. And so that one was interesting. As That one's actually been done for a while. Cinderella, we finished this week. Um, <laughs> just whereas, in time, huh? Yeah. And so that was a very last minute thing. I ran into to Kels Goodman this week and just saying, hey, this is available if you want it. And it's like, we can find a spot right here, and that's why it's on, on Monday fantastic. night. But I think it'll be fun. Um, with Cinderella or with uh, Ruling of the Heart, we finished that a few months ago, and um, we shot it about a year ago. And that started off. I mean, it's a much smaller project. We produced it for our streaming platform originally. Yeah. Um, and we just said, look, we have our our studio in Orem, and we said, can we have all these sets built? What can we what can we craft a movie that just uses what we have? It's great. You know, to keep the budget down. So we, instead of a stuck in an elevator movie, we had a cafe built. So he said, let's have be stuck in a cafe during a snowstorm. Mm, and so awesome. it really focuses about on a judge who's extremely strict and kind of a grumpy old man. And as, um, he gets stuck in the cafe due to the snowstorm with two people that he ruled against that same day. And wow, what a fascinating concept. And so then over the course of that night, as they can't really can't get away from each other, they he's able to see a little bit more, you know, more than just what he judged. Yeah. He judged really quickly on them because he just wanted to be done with it and was able to learn about their situations and see that and, and learn the importance of even though you're a judge, you have the power to exercise mercy. And that sometimes is cool. mercy is good to do. So you can see his change. And even the, the two characters that he ruled against learn from, from that experience and can change as well. Awesome. And so it's, you know, it's really a story of change. So it's not a romance, but it's a story where it's very inspirational, has a feel-good and a, a spiritual nature. Yeah. We don't make it, we didn't make it LDS, but we made it very spiritual in terms of those, those Christian themes that I think are very universal. Oh, I can't wait to see that. That sounds great. And then you were recently involved with a film about Emma Smith. Yep. Tell us about that. Yeah, so this movie called In Emma's Footsteps, mm. and it was directed by my sister. Uh, her name is Brittany Wiscombe, and uh, and I produced it, and, and uh, I also shot it. And so 
That one is, I wouldn't call it a sequel because it's not the same everything as the first Emma Smith movie that came out. Uh, We distributed the first movie and we worked with uh, Joseph Smith and uh, Emma Hale Smith Historical Society on that one um, as as we distributed it. So this one we worked with them. We've worked on the script forever for this film. It's been (laughs) really challenging and the the time to go off and raise the funds to do it. But uh, this one starts with the martyrdom of Joseph and really picks up and focuses on Emma after Joseph. And it was challenging because there's not a lot of documented history about Mm. what she did. There are some excerpts here and there, and we include those. But there's a lot of things in there. So unfortunately in the church, I think a lot of times Emma Smith has gotten a bad rap, and there's a lot of confusion or different takes on what she – did she turn anti? Did she have problems with Brigham Young? Why didn't she go west with the saints? And so we we tackle all those things, and – Nobody really knows the motives of her heart, but we right. kind of try to make sure that we can say, "Here's let's put it in context. If you were there, if you were in her shoes, how yeah. would this be?" So we kind of we try to make sure that we, you know, paint that picture. And you know, the story is told mostly by Lucy, uh, Lucy Maximith, before she she passes away. She talks to her, her grandson, and they go back and revisit, and then we see the you know Emma going through these different challenges, but. You know, Lucy is able to go off and say, you know what, I think she did it because of this. But you know, can you imagine if you were in this situation? And I think that's what yeah. we need to do. Is I think uh, as a culture, a lot of times we we tend to judge really quickly, and mm. you know, without understanding the context of it. And I think you know, with Emma especially, is we need to understand the context. It was hard. It was a hard time to be alive, and yeah. especially as a as a young widow with a lot of kids and a turbulent society. You know, it's yeah, yeah difficult. And your husband was just shot and killed. Yeah. And, and and the church is in turmoil, trying to figure out where to go next. You're the first and, widow, prophet's widow ever. How do, how are they supposed to treat you? How, yeah. What's your role in the church? What does that now? mean? Yeah. Oof. And so yeah, we deal with all that. So we're we're actually in the process of finishing that film up and uh, trying to figure out what our release schedule will be on that. But uh, wonderful! I cannot wait to see it. There's a small trailer out for it. Yeah, we just released a trailer this week. Yeah, where mm-hmm. can people see that? Um, either go to YouTube and type in "In Emma's Footsteps" trailer, or on our Facebook page, which is "In Emma's Footsteps." I love that Emma's getting her due, getting her day, Yeah. however you want to call that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like, yeah, growing up, I always kind of heard that, uh, you know, she was always this enigma, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to really get to know Emma better, I think is just beautiful. Well, it's interesting because the historical society that we work with, they actually report to, El- to, to Elder Ballard because um, oh, wow. he's a descendant of Hiram Smith. And mm, so that's who he that. goes and reports to. And, and with the first Emma Smith movie, um, you know, from what I was told is, you know, Elder Ballard was saying, look, even my brethren in the 12 need this movie to soften some of their hearts about their perceptions of Emma. Really? You know, so, you know, there's different, I think there's different opinions on every level of the church and even, you know, at the highest levels in the church mm. with the, with our leaders is you have different opinions and it's all right to have those opinions. But, you know, I think, you know, what Elder Ballard wanted was, you know, here's one of my, my ancestors and I want to make sure yeah. that you can see you know, see in a different light than what you may have been told. Let's at least get as much information mm-hmm. as possible about. Yeah, that's yeah. that's fantastic, Brian. This has been fascinating. You you have such a great view on things and a fascinating life. We're gonna we're gonna end with the question we ask all of our guests, which I did not prepare you for in that's advance. Fine. So this will this will catch you off guard. But uh, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Hmm. It's a big question. I think there's a lot of ways to answer that. Yeah. You know, I think ultimately, um, I was doing an interview yesterday and we talked about something similar and, and, you know, to take that question and modify it a little bit is, you know, what's the best thing about the church? And for me, I think that's going to, you know, the, the fact that you have eternal families. The thing I love about the church is the emphasis on families. It's about creating an eternal family unit. So, I mean, 
So what does the church mean to me? You know, I think it's one thing I love about the church is that it's not just a religion, it's a way of life. And, yeah. you know, if either you're a member of the church and that's how you live your life and it affects everything you do, or you don't, you know, and yeah. it's, it's kind of an all in or all out kind of thing because you can't really, you know, sit there and, and dabble on both sides of the line there. So, you know, I guess being a member of the church really is about, you know, it's about strengthening yourself and the people around you every day. It's about creating eternal relationships, both with your family and with others. You know, it's about having a, a, a greater perspective than mm. what the world teaches you, I think. That's beautifully put. Fantastic. Well, March 1st, look for CozyFlicks.com. People can go check that out and uh, and subscribe to that channel, the LDS Film Festival. Check out uh, Not Cinderella's Type and Ruling of the Heart, and then coming up very soon in Emma's Footsteps, which I'm very excited about. Brian, you definitely do not have a lack of work going on right now. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. My thanks to my friend Brian Bruff, and what a great guy. And I cannot wait to see all of the projects he has coming up in the future. Uh, this week in my Latter-day Life, my mind was on the same thing probably a lot of uh, yours were, which is the unfortunate uh, events that happened at the high school in Florida. And it is really just, gosh, it's, it's so hard to watch and to think about my own children to think about friends and family and the terror and the sadness. And it just was heartbreaking this week. And I couldn't get my mind off of it. And uh, a couple of mornings after the event, I was reading in the Book of Mormon. And I recently restarted the Book of Mormon. And I was reading about when uh, Nephi had asked to see all the different parts of his father's dream. And he gets walked through the dream of the Tree of Life. And then he sees more. He sees the future, and he talks about how he sees his people become delightsome to the Lord and how he's got this righteous heritage. But then he sees wars and more wars, and then he sees everyone turn to wickedness. And then he talks about how all of his people um, end up eventually getting destroyed, and he watches it. He says that every last one of them gets killed, and we know that that happens because we know what happens in the Book of Mormon. And then he goes on. And I'd never really noticed that before, that he was shown this at the beginning. And I put myself in Nephi's place and I thought, how hard it must be to know what's going to happen, to know that the the Nephites are going to thrive, they're going to build up, everything's going to be great, and then it's all going to come crashing down. And how difficult it must have been for Nephi. How did he keep moving forward? Because he had a lot of challenges, but he kept moving forward. Why? Why and how did Nephi keep moving forward, knowing that there would be this ultimate destruction? And as I sat and I pondered it, and I really prayed and pondered this point, and I realized it was because Nephi knows how it's all going to end. He knows that that loss is very short term because in the end, the Lord will reign. He knows, he saw what is coming. He saw the Lord in his glory. He knows what is going to happen. And it's going to be triumphant and it's going to be magnificent and we will all be a part of it. And I would just say that when we get down, we have to think about that. When this earth, because the earth is the test, it's hard. 
And there are days where you just get so down and you think, what is going on? And I'm sure the pioneers had those days in the early church and throughout all time. But we have to remember he who is in control, who knows how this whole thing is going to end. My favorite conference talk of all time is called Sunday Will Come. It was given in 2006 uh, by Joseph B. Worthlin. And it's just such, every time I get down a little bit, it is such a comforting talk to me. And what Sunday will come means is he talks about how the Lord died on Friday, how Jesus Christ died on Friday, and how it seemed like the world was ending, and how horrible it was, and how all of his friends and family, here the Savior has been killed, and how Friday was just the lowest of low. But then on Sunday, there was a resurrection, and that resurrection came about, and all of a sudden, the whole world changed because of that one event. And that we all have the Fridays where everything seemed like everything seemed like it's it's just over. And why are we even living? We question everything. But that Sunday comes and he says each of us will have our own Fridays. Those days when the universe itself seems shattered and the shards of our world lie littered about us in pieces. We will all experience those broken times when it seems we can never be put together again. We will all have our Fridays. But I testify to you in the name of the one who conquered death, Sunday will come. In the darkness of our sorrow, Sunday will come. No matter our desperation, no matter our grief, Sunday will come. In this life or in the next, Sunday will come. And I would just share with all of you, my friends, that Sunday will come that there will be more and greater destruction. There will be more and greater challenges. There will be those who will mock us. There will be times where even our own families may turn against us or turn away from the church or whatever it is. Those times where we are so desperate and the pain is so intense, that is Friday. But Sunday will come. And I got so much peace out of seeing Nephi's great example of pressing forward after he saw the destruction of his people. And out of sweet, sweet Elder Joseph B. Worthlin and this beautiful talk. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you again for listening. We sure appreciated it. Uh, If you have any thoughts, you want to reach out to me for any reason, shoot me an email at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. We are on social media. We can be found at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And of course, if you want to stream any old episodes, just go to latterdaylives.com. All the old episodes are there. If you get a minute this week, if you're bored, you're looking for something to do, nothing helps us more than good reviews, especially on iTunes. I read a statistic that 70% of all podcasts are listened to on Apple Podcasts. If you are on Apple Podcasts or whatever your format, if you get a minute and can just give us a review, five stars, we love it. But be honest, if it's not five stars for you, that's okay. But if you could take a few minutes and just write us up kind of what you think about the show, oh, it means the world to us. And the more reviews we get, the more we show up. And again, the reason that we want to show up is when people type Mormon, there are some anti-Mormon podcasts out there, some not-so-friendly-to-the-church podcasts, we want to show up first. And if you get a chance to do that, my goodness, we would certainly appreciate it. Uh, And that's it. Next week, we've got another fantastic show for you. But until then, please remember, as always, that there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. 
Thanks for listening.